right. Hey, welcome back to another episode of the Good Advice Podcast. Today is a revival of an old kind of episode we used to do back in the day. I feel like it was back in the COVID days where there was a lot more free time back then. We had a series called Sales Fails, and I used to tell people, I haven't done this as much in recent times, but I used to tell people that I had a folder on my computer that was called Stop Doing This with all sorts of the absolute worst practices in the sales world, things that were so silly, so stupid. Uh, Many a story have been told of some really rough sales uh, pitches that have been given to me. So despite all of that though, we're gonna revisit some of that stuff today. And if you are looking to get more customers for your business, you're looking to get, uh, frankly, just to, to do business better and sell more stuff, we're gonna be talking about that today. The good news is you don't have to be an amazing salesperson to generate a consistent stream of revenue for your business. You gotta just be a little bit better than what other people are doing. So all that and more is on the show today, but before we dive in, here's a word from one of the amazing businesses that sponsor the show. We talk to all sorts of business owners on the podcast, and one of the most common trends is business owners who just, for whatever reason, didn't fit in the corporate environment. A lot of entrepreneurs are seeking something, they're seeking an answer, and they're trying to figure out the simple question of, how do I fit in the world? And more importantly, is there a way to make a living that doesn't involve the traditional nine to five job? One of the biggest pieces of advice that I give to entrepreneurs is, hey, you gotta learn about who you are, what drives you, your motivation. That's why I wanna tell you about this book, Your Turning Point, 33 Questions for Transformation. I love the impact I've been able to make through Good Advice and the Good Advice Podcast, but that would not have been doable without taking an honest assessment of who I was today and who I wanted to be tomorrow. Go to the website, the33questions.com and get yourself a copy of Your Turning Point by Stephen J. Blank. And let's continue on this road for transformation together. Again, the website is the33questions.com where you can buy your book today. So I got this email that came in yesterday and you can always know if Blake is sharing an email, uh, you can know that something, something has gone wrong in this email process. So I get this email. Let's see if I can find it real quick. Cause now that I've brought it up, I have to track it down. Um, if I was smart, I'd have it up already. Okay, here it is. So I get this email and you're probably like me. You probably get all sorts of emails day in and day out. Um, and you get pitched constantly. Excuse me. <coughs> Excuse me. You know, you're getting pitched constantly. This is true also on social media, by the way, I was talking to a guy who, He was saying that he was frustrated because he couldn't LinkedIn would not let him message people without first connecting with them. And he was like, this is kind of a bummer. Like, what's up with this? Like, why doesn't LinkedIn let me? And actually what he was complaining about was he was saying, you know, if if I pay for LinkedIn premium, which I think is like 20 bucks a month or 30 bucks a month, it will let me message people. So this is kind of unfair. Like, how do I get around this? Why can't I just message whoever I want? So he asked this question and I was like, well, you know, there are some ways around this, which I'm not going to talk about on the show, but what you need to know is this is absolutely one of the most obnoxious things you can do on LinkedIn. Uh, No one likes getting messages like this. No one likes receiving messages like this. 
And also I get this on Facebook too. And what kind of drives me crazy about these messages is um, someone sends like the generic message and then you don't respond to it. And then they, it's like the, it's like the implication. Uh, this is, by the way, if you've never listened to the podcast, this is going to make me sound like a huge douche and I don't mean it this way, but I really don't like the implication of friendship on a message where someone, they DM me, hello, it's great to meet you. Here's my pitch. Here's how I can help you. And then they follow up with Blake, is everything okay? Or Blake, are you all right? You know, um, Hey Blake, just making sure you're doing okay. Cause I haven't heard back from you. And I'm like, I've never ever in my life spoken to you before. Like we've never had a conversation. The trust isn't there. And this, by the way, for those of you who maybe who aren't too savvy in the sales world, there's a lot of, um, psychology that goes into sales. Uh, I mean, the psychology of sales involves, um, many of, uh, of a different type types of habits that, Salespeople are told to do like, here's a really great example, by the way, just so you, I, don't, I don't keep talking generically. One example of this is um, the implication of the meeting rather than asking for the meeting. So how someone might typically approach sales is they might say, hey, I'd love to show you my product. I'd love to talk to you about my service. Do you have any time that we could meet in the next two weeks? And this is just like a pretty typical message someone might see might send, excuse me. Well, what they might do is they're, they're basically asking for permission to meet. Like, do you have time for us to meet? Well, through this whole psychology of sales, what someone might do instead, or rather what people are often taught to do is to imply that the other, and it's this whole thing about like power and control and who's controlling the narrative. And by the way, especially in the consulting world, this gets very obnoxious because there's this whole conversation about being like maintaining your, um, your, prestige, I guess, as a salesperson. And, and we kind of get this, by the way, we know in sales that we don't want to come across as desperate. We know that if you chase too hard, then you do seem desperate. And you know, probably you figured out that if someone's buying a service from you, you want them to see you as credible and experienced and all of these things. And so for me, for example, I typically have like a rule of three. Uh, once I've reached out to you three times, if you don't follow up with me, you don't respond or, you know, you tell me to you know wait a little bit longer. I typically usually move on. I typically, um, just cause I don't, I don't want to necessarily be the guy who I'm emailing you every week. Hey, are you there? Did you get my phone call? Um, now this isn't to say that I haven't done this. I actually have done this. I've had some customers. I have one customer in the past who was a very lucrative customer. I say lucrative, not in a sleazy way, but in terms of like the bottom line for my business, knowing I could genuinely help this person. Uh, I was willing to break the rule of three for this person because I knew, uh, that I could really help his business. And more importantly, it was big for my business to get that sale. So naturally there's always an exception to the rule, but in general, I try not to be too desperate. Sometimes I do a great job of this. Sometimes not so much, uh, which by the way, if you like just speaking to, if you are awkward in sales, if you mess up a sales call, just know that that's normal. You're in good company. Like this stuff is hard. It's not easy, but getting back to the point, what will typically happen in this whole conversation or rather this training around sales psychology is how do you maintain your authority and credibility? And one way you do that is you wrestle control from the buyer. You know, you control the narrative and you 
imply essentially their consent. Now, if, if you're again, if you're a first time listener, don't take notes too quickly here because I'm about to tell you not to do any of this. I'm just giving some I'm giving some background for what is the norm in sales. So what this looks like instead of, hey, is there some time that we can get together? What the person does instead is they say, hey, I'm really excited to tell you about this product. I'm really excited to tell you about this service. Um, does Tuesday at 10 work? Or is Thursday at one better for you when it comes to us meeting? So there's no question of like the implication here is we are going to meet. Is it going to be at 10 on Tuesday or one on Thursday? Like I've taken away your, I've, I've moved past. And here's where it gets really awkward. It's, it's like if you're going out on a date with someone and you ask them at dinner, Hey, so uh, would you prefer we kiss when I drop you off tonight or kiss next date? Like, think about how awkward and creepy and uncomfortable that is for the person you're taking on your date. The same thing is true in sales, by the way. I, I think some of this stuff maybe made sense. Uh, I don't even want to, say, want to say it made sense. I think maybe there was a nuance to it years ago. I think now it's pretty tacky. It's pretty obnoxious. It's pretty annoying. Um, and personally, it I, I've never had it work for me. Now, I'm going to get back to, well, if I shouldn't do that, what should I do to actually stand out? We're going to get to that, okay? But by the end of this episode, we are going to talk about what you should be doing in your sales conversations to actually stand out, excuse me, to actually stand out, to get people interested, to at least get people intrigued enough to either respond to you or follow up with you. Um, all of these things, we're going to get to that by the end of the episode. But before we do that, we need to blow this conversation out a little bit and talk about sales for your business. Now, I am convinced that the number one skill you need to learn to be, now you're, you you could probably rip up another episode and, and be like, well, Blake said this was the number one thing. So in the sake of the episode, I'm, I'm going to say the number one thing, but you can just know it's definitely a top three for sure. The number one thing you have to be able to do for your business to take your business to the next level. The number one thing you have to learn to master is sales. I say this because we live in a time where there has never been a greater access to your services and your competitors than now. If I find your business in a moment, I can Google 10 competitors in a second, I can find 10 competitors. And we live in a time where there is so much of an access to resources, logo creation, which by the way, a lot of the stuff is now even AI generated, logo, logos, website, services listed, um, phone number, uh, bookings online, all of this stuff, which maybe five, six, seven years ago would have been a differentiator. I mean, not a website, but maybe booking directly online. These are things that are now so commonplace that at first glance, more often than not, your business looks like literally just like any other business. Um, I mean, I, I have a few different services that I do. If you Google SEO, SEO Northwest Arkansas, you are going to see 50 different businesses that all talk about delivering results, 
Uh, they're all going to have testimonials. They're all going to have reviews. I mean, all of those things are going to be present. And, and these, by the way, things, these are things that, again, they would have been differentiators several years ago. Now they are the norm. Now these are things that if you think, if you're patting yourself on the back because you have a review on your website, you are in trouble <laughs> because you're not differentiating yourself. You are doing the bare minimum. Now, that's not to say you're doing something wrong. It's, it's basically saying if I, like if I was going to sit down with someone and, and look at their business, look at their website, I would say, hey, at, at a minimum, you need to have these things. And it's kind of like I, I was in a conversation with someone who was getting really PO'd at this customer service rep who this person, this person was, it was like at a Best Buy or something. I don't know where this was, but I was standing behind this person and this person was like trying to return something or I can't remember what the details were, but the customer service person like just was not getting it, like was not understanding it was like, oh, sir, well, our policy like just was not understanding. And the guy right in front of me got rightfully pretty pissed off, got pretty angry about it. And angry is not the right word. He wasn't like screaming. He just was like, lady, like, listen to me. You're not you're not hearing me. Well, he says something like this. And the person says in response, um, the person behind the desk says in response, you know, well, sir, I'm just I'm just trying to give you great customer service. And the guy responds, he goes, no, you, you are giving me customer service. It is not great customer service. And I want to pause there. I want to pause it for a second and unpack this because there is a difference. Many people think that giving customer service implies a premium experience, a, an intentional experience, a great experience, but if I could tell you how many businesses have told me the reason they think they're great is because of their customer service. I mean, this is a, this is a common thing that I hear from people. And yet so few businesses are actually delivering incredible customer service. I don't think necessarily that good advice delivers incredible customer service. I just, I just know that that is a priority for me. It's something that I'm always thinking about and iterating and how can I do this better? Well, in the same way, we are often incredibly biased about our own outputs, about our own services. And so, you know, you look at the website, oh, I got the reviews, I got this, I got that. And you can know that more often than not, you actually aren't differentiating yourself. You are, you are simply doing what you should be doing to at least check the boxes. So in the same way, when you think about your business growing, these things that would have helped you stand apart no longer have the same umph behind them. So how do you bridge that gap between truly different, between something that people want to buy from and everyone else? It's being a great salesperson. It's knowing how to sell. It's knowing when to ask for the sale, how to ask for the sale, how to follow the sale. And, and again, caveat here, disclaimer. I'll go ahead and tell you, sales is freaking hard. It is really freaking hard because you, I mean, there's so many levels of nuance to this. You will have people who they come to you. They, they will tell you, I'm ready to buy. I have the money right now. You explain the service to make sure they're on the same page. They're like, yes, that's exactly what I want. And when it comes to them actually paying the bill or putting down the deposit or signing the contract, they disappear. They disappear. Um, because ultimately, I mean, you're also sometimes in the sales world, you are beholden to someone else's dysfunction, meaning 
I mean, I can't tell you how many times a business owner has come to me and been like, Blake, I need your help. But they themselves are so dysfunctional that they can't even create forward momentum for themselves, much less have an outsider come in and, and collaborate with them on their business. Part of this in being a good salesperson is knowing how to identify those kind of conversations, how to identify is this a good customer or not. And I will park here for a second, by the way, because I think there's a good insight here. Whenever you're selling to someone, and it's just as a random aside, whenever you're selling to someone, not only are you selling them to buy your services, but you should be causing them to sell you that they are a good customer. And this isn't, I'm not talking about just like cra oh, crazy customer, hard to work with, anything like that. Although that is part of it. Obviously you, you don't want a customer who is, is calling you all the time, calling you all day. I've had customers like this before. Um, you know, obviously you don't want that. I'm actually talking about you're, you're validating is this customer a good fit for what you offer? And one example of a time I did this really bad was when people work with me, almost everything that I do is has a connection to digital. We, we are, we're, we're doing content online. Um, I'm using Google Sheets. I'm using a CRM tool. I'm using all this stuff online to collaborate with my customers. And... I had a guy who one time uh, called me to hire me for my services and I did a bad job of this conversation and came to find out that he he lived um, essentially on some land outside of city limits, didn't have internet or had like a very, uh, you know, I think he had no internet. I think he had like a wife, the thing on his phone, like an extender, very bad cell service, didn't like technology, didn't like computers. And here he was looking to collaborate with me, someone who's very tech heavy. From the get-go, it's a bad match. It's it's not a good fit. I didn't do a good job of, of collaborating in this process to figure out, is this someone that I should be working with? Times that I've done this really well would be times where uh, I had somebody who called me. She was asking for some help. I asked her, okay, tell me about your business. And typically some of my first questions I ask is, what do you sell? What do you sell it for? And how many customers do you have? Or, or what's your revenue? And sometimes I have to, if I don't know the person well enough, I will um, think of a, a way to ask that without seeming sleazy. Because I definitely don't want someone to, I definitely don't want someone to, meet me for the first time and then me say, well, how much money do you make? And then be like, oh yeah, well, it's going to cost this much. You know, I never want someone to have that impression of me, but I am forcing them to sell to me that I should work with them. So I had this person who called, she said, Hey, yeah, um, this is what we've sold. And I said, okay, well, how many have you sold of them? And she's like, we've sold 12 and it was some product at like $30 a product. She's like, we've sold 12. And I was like, okay, you, you've sold 12 this month. And she's like, we've sold 12 total in five years. <laughs> so is it a business? Not quite. It's more of a side hustle. It's more of a hobby. Could it be something great down the road? For sure. But in terms of like my time and effort, I'm not going to engage that conversation any farther. I'm going to give them some advice. I'm going to give them some help. Uh, I spoke to a woman this morning, by the way, who similar situation in the sense of wasn't making quite enough money that was clear from the get go. 
So rather than going down the sales channel of, hey, yeah, let's get a credit card and you could pay me and yeah, you'll make that money back. I mean, like, I don't want to deal with any of that stuff. And so instead, I gave her some genuine advice. I typically point to the podcast. I say, hey, keep following the podcast. There'll be some good stuff for you. And then I, I send them on their way, right? So there is a little a level of nuance to this in the sales conversation of, you know, sometimes you, even when you're being a great salesperson, it is just simply not a good fit. It's not a good fit. Or that person was never going to be your customer. You know, you had someone that you had, you met them over coffee, that you had a connection for a moment. They were like, we definitely need your help. We definitely need you. But they were being actually not so sincere. They were being just nice. They were being just complimentary. And so then when it came to like actually closing the deal, they were like, Ugh. I mean, I have I had a guy on the podcast once who told a story about this business corporation he was selling to, and he slammed it out of the park. I mean, he he knew it was a great fit. He knew he was pinging. Well, he gets on like the final conference call to like close the deal, has this amazing pitch, really feels like he's vibing. And then they say, hey, well, we're going to we're going to talk about it. And we'll let you know. And he says, OK, great. Well, they didn't hang up the conference call. And so he's about to hang up and then he hears them talking and curiosity got the bet the better of him where he um, was like, yeah, well, I wonder what they're going to say about me. And immediately one of the decision makers says, yeah, there's no way we're going with him. However, let's keep him. Let's keep him on the line. Let's keep him linked in with us in case we need him as a backup down the road. So you have to understand there's it's business, right? It's business. And sometimes people keep conversations going because they want to have you as an option, even when they're not really quite sure. I had this happen to me last year where someone was like, I really need you. I need your help really badly. And I said, great, here's the contract. Okay, I'm going to get this signed today. They didn't sign it. About a week went by. Hey, what's going on with this contract? Hey, we're ready. We're about to sign it. Okay, great. Another week went by. You know, I got to my rule of three. Hey, I'm just being candid. You tell me if it's not a good fit. Okay. No, it's a great fit. Like we're ready. We need you badly. Okay. Then just go ahead and sign that. We'll get started. And then, um, I think a few days went by and I got an email, didn't get a signature. A few days went by. I got an email and was like, Hey, we found somebody else. They're a lot cheaper. Uh, so we're going to go that route. And I told them from the get go, cause I knew this other option. I said, yeah, it's cheaper, but I can tell you they typically don't work out well for your kind of business. Spoke to them again four or five months later, and they're like, "Yeah, that wasn't that wasn't a good purchase on our behalf. It didn't quite work out the way we wanted it to." Now, were there some things I could have done better in that whole sales process? For sure, absolutely. But you can know in a typical sales conversation that it's not always it is not always so simple as did you do the five things that a great salesperson did. There, are, there is simply the fact that some people will never be your customer, even when they tell you they want to be your customer. Excuse me. <coughs> Excuse me. So if you feel like you're awful at sales, give yourself a little bit of credit, give yourself some grace, and just know that it is hard for everyone. And it is not so simple as just close the deal. Just connect with them and close the deal. It, there, there's a lot of moving parts here. There's a lot of spinning plates. Um, there's a lot of nuance to this. And so give yourself a break if you have flubbed it before. Having said that, 
I think I, I mentioned earlier in the episode that if you can learn to sell, if you can learn to sell well, it will transform your business. I have a customer right now. She's a, a quarter of a million dollar business. And our conversation has been on her, her, her selling. It's yeah, here's, here's how you've been selling in the past. If you're going to elevate this thing, in fact, it's like a, you know, 300, $400,000 business. If you're going to elevate this thing, you have to learn how to sell and your role as the owner of the business is going to need to shift into a sales minded role or, or not, if not just directly sales, uh, brand building, which is a whole nother conversation. But let me give you some encouragement today. If you feel like you are terrible at sales, if you feel like you're awful at sales, I'll tell you two things. First of all, I'll tell you, you just need to get yourself into as many sales conversations as possible because that is simply the only way you will grow. You need to be in these awkward conversations where you say your pitch or you deliver you know, they say, well, how can you help me? And you deliver the line and you mess it up. You stutter, you stammer over your words, getting in those situations will build your confidence and it will make it better for you. It'll make it easier for you to sell down the line. And I've had people in the past where I've, I've pitched people and I've, I've said what I was going to say. I had one guy one time who I said, I said my pitch and he goes, actually, I think of two people. One guy goes, why? It was kind of, it was basically just being like, what, like, dude, why, why would I hire you? And then I had someone else who just like, I gave everything I said and he goes, uh, no. And I was, I, I, he didn't expand and I was like, okay, well, um, you know, tell me, is it, is it, is it me? Is it the price? Is it? And I, I tried to give him some, I was trying to get some feedback and he goes, I will tell you it is not the price. And I was like. Okay, well, thank you. I will go cry in my bathroom now. <laughs> so the stuff's hard. It's not easy. Get in as many conversations as you can. But let's let's transition this conversation a little bit. I told you I wanted to talk about these emails, um, these these DMs, these emails, these things like this. You know, this is 20 minutes ago now at this point. So if you're still with me, just know, you know, this is this is how I roll. I'm just I'm all over the place. But I got this email. This came a day ago said, hey, Blake, I'm Jane from this business. We've helped law firms like Good Advice increase their profits by 10%. Do you have a minute for a quick call this week or next? So notice that first line. This person knows they have just a second, just a second to grab my attention. So what she tries to do is show credibility that I can help you. Here's the results we achieve. We we help you increase your net profit by 10%. But if you didn't hear it, if you missed it, she said, we've helped law firms like good advice. When did I ever become a law firm? When did this happen? See this person and, and honestly, here's if, if you're not, if you don't know how this stuff works at scale. So these larger businesses and not even just large businesses, in many cases, people are paying for email lists 
And so imagine how like Google crawls your site, crawls your page and gets an idea of like, how should we rank your page? Like, how does that pan out with like SEO and like where you fall in like the Google search results in a similar way, other businesses are crawling your business and then they are, they're compiling that, that onto a list of a number of other businesses. And then they're going to a, another business and they're saying, Hey, I have a list of people who would be great customers for you. This list will cost you a thousand dollars. Um, do you want to buy this list? I'm oversimplifying it, but you get it. And so the business says, Oh, well, great. Yeah. We'd love to get your list. So they buy the list and then they give it to their salesperson and they say, Hey, email all these people. And, and actually, usually by the way, it's, it's usually actually not even like that where like the person then emails those people. It actually, nowadays it typically goes into like an automated program within the business where you put in the email, you write the template email and it gets fired off to those thousand people. And hopefully, hopefully some of them respond. And in some cases they do. In some cases this stuff works out. If it didn't work out, there wouldn't be, there wouldn't be a, a business for this. The problem here is it is incredibly expensive. It is incredibly, um, I don't want to say it's time consuming. It's, it's resource heavy because when some of these people respond, you don't know who the business is. You don't know anything about them. You haven't curated a relationship. And so now there is so much momentum that has to be created to now take this business across the finish line. It's very resource heavy. So I got this email. I thought it was pretty funny. I thought, well, apparently I'm a law firm. It's not unlike another email that I got. Let's see if I can find this other one real quick. I got this other email from a woman named Jessica. She said, Hey Blake, we grow women owned businesses to seven figures with high converting Facebook and Instagram ads. One of our clients in the coaching space earned an 11 times ROI. And I want the same for you. We'd like to offer 10 hours of copywriting services for landing, blah, 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 blah. So are you ready to scale? Set up a time here. You get it. Well, so I get this email and she says, we grow women owned businesses. And I thought this is really interesting because nowhere on any of my content do I identify as a woman. So I kindly responded and said, hi, Jessica, I am a man. <laughs> Thank you for reaching out. Never heard back. Never heard back from this person. So, and this isn't the first time I've talked about this. I've gotten emails in the past where people have said things like, hey, Bla actually, oh, now, you know, now that I mentioned this, I got an email just this last week. Let's see if I can find it real quick. Here we go. Uh, hey, Blake, I know you're busy. And I don't in intend to be a pest. However, I was looking at your website and I love what you do. It looks like you do career coaching, which I think is really great. Now, career coaching. These two words are found nowhere on my website. In fact, let's go to the website. Goodadvicecoaching.com. Whoopsie. Goodadvicecoaching.com. Okay. Hang on. Oh no, my page is, is down. My page is down. Well, this kind of defeats the purpose. Oh, your domain is expired. Okay. That might be kind of an important detail. 
Apparently I need to pay my domain bill. All right, well, I just, for the sake of the example, I didn't even realize that I hadn't updated my um, domain, which is pretty interesting. But anywho, um, nowhere on my page does it say career coaching. Anywhere. In fact, it says something like premier small business consulting, uh, scale your business in simple steps, get more customers, run, do business better, be a better leader. Like these are all things that are on here. Didn't say anything about career coaching. So I think it's pretty interesting then that uh, this person emailed me and said, Hey, I see your career coach. You, this person clearly had not done their research. So when we talk about sales, when we talk about sales in, in line with this conversation about giving yourself grace, you don't actually have to be an amazing salesperson. You don't. You just have to be better than what is the norm. And the norm is cold email with the wrong business description, the wrong business name. I used to get emails all the time that was, you know, hey, Blake with good gear hockey, not a hockey business, not a, not a, not a hockey gear business. So I get these all the time. The norm is the wrong business name, the wrong business, business service, not really knowing who I am and what I do. Not knowing that I am not a woman, <laughs> that I am in fact a man. You have to understand that this is the norm. And so when you think about getting better at sales, you don't have to be God's gift to the sales world. You just have to be better than what people are used to getting, which is the impersonal, incorrect emails that come into our inbox. I'll give you another example real quick. If I can find it real quick. Actually, I think it's in my other email. Let's see if I can go back here. Hang on. Hang on. Okay, here we go. Okay, I got this email. This person said, um, hey, and I, I won't actually read the first line. It just says, I hope you're well today as we honor the contribution of workers, contribution of workers across the country and pause for Labor Day. I want to tell you, thank you for your continued support and loyalty. It's because of your trust and support that we're able to do what we love and make a difference in others' lives. No matter how you spend the long weekend, know we're grateful for valued clients like you who make our work possible and a pleasure. Have a great Labor Day weekend. Uh, sincerely, blah, blah, blah. So this, this isn't a, you know, this isn't a bad email, right? Somebody emailed me and said, hey, I want, I want you to know how much I value you as a customer. That's great to get, right? Uh, and by the way, this is a sales email. Uh, even, even, if it's, even if you're sending something to a current customer, it is a sales email because smart business people understand that you're not, it's not the one and done sale. And if that's your mentality in business, you are ruining your business long-term. It's not the one and done. It's the, you're, you're building the tribe, the raving fans. I'm curating an intentional customer experience so that this person buys from me again and again and again, not in a sleazy way, but because they love your business so much that they want to buy from you for life. And if it's not time for them to buy again, they're telling everyone around them to buy from you. That's, that's the concept here. So I get this email and at first glance, you might be like, Hey, this is a pretty good email. Well, here's the problem. The email says at the start, Hey, Blakely. Now, no one calls me Blakely. No one. Literally, no one calls me Blakely. 
Not even my wife. People call me Blake. My legal name, however, is Blakely. So what this tells me is that this person sent an automated email and that I am in their system. Uh, this is an insurance. This is an insurance company, by the way. This insurance company, who I'm a customer of, has me in their system by my legal name, likely because, you know, it's if, if you're going to provide someone legal insurance, you have to probably write their legal name on the document. So this person wrote my legal name into their business. And so then they fired off this automated email. What it tells me, it wasn't when he says, I'm grateful for clients like you. They're not really saying that to me. It's an automated email. Now, before I like, I go off the rails here. Does this person care about their customers? Probably. Like, is this email genuine? Probably. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't think the person's like, you know, um, Scrooge McDuck over here, you know, like thinking, you know, I sent off this email, they're going to buy it. I mean, I, I think it's sent with good intent, but, but understand the difference here. Okay. Understand the difference between an automated template email that goes out to all of your customers. Thank you for customers like you. This is something I've talked about before, a major problem in the insurance industry. It's the, it's the, the mass produced stamped signatured birthday cards, thank you cards, emails, what have you that go out to all your customers. There's no intentionality. There's no connection. So on one hand, you have this email. Hey, Blake, thanks for being a valued customer. Enjoy the Labor Day weekend. Imagine another kind of email. Or so that one says, hey, Blakely. Imagine another kind of email. Hey, Blake. Hey, you've been with us for this many months or this many years. You know, from the first time we were helping you with this vehicle to now with this vehicle. I just want to pause in the craziness of the week and just tell you, thank you so much for trusting me and my business. Uh, it really means a lot. And I can let you know that that trust does not it's, it doesn't fall lightly on me. I know that there are 50 million insurance agencies you can choose from, and you chose mine, and I take that to heart. Thank you so much, Blake, for you doing business with me. Sincerely, blank. You know, whatever. Imagine that. Imagine doing something like that. Imagine doing that and saying, hey, because you've been such a great customer, hey, I want to buy you your next meal. Uh, I know, like I have somebody who's come on the podcast before who I know loves Chick-fil-A. Hey, you know, thanks so much for your years of business. I want to buy your next meal. Uh, here's, here's a gift card to Chick-fil-A. Most people would laugh you out the door for suggesting something like that. But if a customer is putting $10,000 in your pocket, if a customer is putting $200 in your pocket, I'm peeling off 10 bucks and putting it aside to buy them a meal. Because that tiny gesture, that tiny detail is already putting you leaps and bounds ahead of the norm of a very low bar. If the average person can't even get you, get your name, correct, your business name, correct, who you are as a business, correct. Imagine how much farther you are in the sales game when you actually try you actually learn about the business you're talking to, what's going on with them. You don't have to be a stalker to figure these things out. It takes just a smidge of intentionality. It takes just the slightest bit of patience 
to do these things well. So wherever you are in your sales world, again, you don't have to be the best. You don't have to be the best. You just got to be better than what everyone else is doing. And doing a little bit better than that low bar, it will set you apart. And you will be surprised how much better your sales game is then. Hey, if you enjoyed this episode, thanks so much for listening to the podcast. Make sure you're following us, subscribe to us. If you need some sales help, you might want to reach out to me at Blake at GoodAdviceCoaching.com or go to our website, GoodAdviceCoaching.com. Don't forget we have a Patreon. It's at Patreon.com slash GoodAdvice. And then also, if you want to advertise your business on the show, you can always reach out again to my email, Blake at GoodAdviceCoaching.com. Those of you who support the business in that way, I appreciate you so much, especially those of you who listen to the podcast long-term. I so appreciate your support. Having said that, let's get out there and sell and do better in the sales world. That's today's good advice. I'll catch you later. See ya.